Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Let's continue in prayer. God, we are uh, excited to praise you. Um, We're excited to praise even your name. And for all of the names that we have heard this weekend, um, as we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ and, and everything that was attached to him, Lord and Savior and Emmanuel and so many names uh, that speak to who you are in your character, in your eternal being, and then of what you do, what you have done, and what you continue to do for us. Uh, so we're grateful uh, for that. We're grateful that we can continue to gather um, in all the different ways that we've experienced over the last couple years, uh, that we are your people and we get to be uh, your people in praise of you week in and week out. And so we're grateful for that this morning. Uh, we ask that you would just continue to, to speak to us, um, that you would meet us wherever we are uh, and that we would be um, blessed by your presence and that you would receive our offering of worship this morning. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, hello, welcome again. Uh, good morning. We are excited that you are wherever you are uh, watching with us. Uh, I would have led this morning. I hope, hope you enjoyed the food as we were really, I was really excited for the breakfast that Pat promised us. Um, but hopefully you are getting your own food uh, at home and that it's nice and warm, that you guys are staying safe. We're, we're so glad that you're with us here um, for this thing that we're actually calling the day after Christmas. Not only because that is what today is, December 26th, uh, but we wanted to just take this, this Sunday that we have and continue the story um, and just talk about what it was like for the, the people of Jesus' family on the day after Christmas. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, I'm Tyler, excited to kick things off for you this morning. This is my friend Colt next to me, and then our lead pastor Scott on the side. We're going to look at three stories this morning. Not like the Christmas carol, the ghost of uh, Christmas past, present, and future, but the rest of the narrative of Christmas. What happened after Jesus was born? Um, so we're excited to, to do this together in kind of a weird way. We were hoping you guys would be here with us, um, but here we are. And, and believe it or not, this is actually largely what we planned. We, we didn't adjust our, our messages. Um, we wanted to talk about what happens uh, after Christmas, maybe if things didn't go the way you expected and there's suddenly a snowstorm. Um, so we're here, to, we're excited to do this together. Uh, Colt will kind of talk about um, who he is in a little bit, but uh, excited for him to be with us. He's one of the leaders in our high school ministry. And so as, as we kind of looked at this Sunday and, and just talked about how do we get uh, some more people involved, Colt has been a really faithful presence uh, in youth group with me. And just as we grow and are always looking for opportunities to uh, equip everyone, 
um, to continue to teach, to train, to give things away, to share opportunities. He'll be joining with us. So uh, Colt will take the, the middle part of the story in a few minutes here. But let me begin with actually where Scott left off uh, on Christmas Eve. If you were with us for any of our Christmas Eve stories or uh, our, our Christmas Eve service, and Scott wrapped up with talking about Silent Night, the song, but then also the reality that the, the night itself was probably anything but silent. And the story as a whole, maybe the birth of Jesus perhaps went unnoticed um, by the rest of the world, but for everybody involved, man, it's just... Mary gets an angel, Joseph gets a dream, an exploding choir of angels, there's a traveling star, there's everybody getting Jesus' name and gender before an ultrasound machine was invented. There's all kinds of stuff going on and everybody heard from God what this Jesus was going to grow up to be and to do. It was anything but ordinary. But afterwards... The day after Christmas, they went and did the super most ordinary thing that they could have done. Mary and Joseph take Jesus in, in, in what would have been the uh, cultural equivalent of going to his first doctor's appointment. They take him to the temple when he was just a few days old. It's just what all parents uh, did. And so the Christmas narrative that we've been spending a lot of time with over the last four weeks is largely found in Luke chapter 2. And that's from verse 1 all the way up to verse 21. And so I'm going to continue for us in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And we'll be kind of there for the most part. So if you're following along at home in your Bibles, Luke 2 is where we'll be. So I'm starting in verse 22. And this is talking about what Mary and Joseph did next. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And you're already bored. Like, what is this language? We've got angels and, and Jesus and shepherds running and wise men and all these things. And then this feels like Exodus again. This feels like Old Testament law. What are we talking about? And it's so striking that the first half of Luke says what it says. And then we travel. We go from the miraculous everything to the superordinary, to, to purification law, to presenting your son at a temple, to, to have him looked over, to have him washed, uh, to, to name him, just mundane things. And as we were kind of looking at this, it, you know, it reminded me of, of just growing up and wrestling with, have you ever had a Christmas letdown whether that's the day itself or the emotions that come by the end of the day or even the next day, there's this incredible moment and all of this hype and expectation and things go into this, this day or this morning or this meal or whatever. And whether it meets expectations or not, a lot of times there's this, well, you got to go back to reality next. 
And the moment doesn't stay forever. The feelings don't carry over indefinitely. There's this coming back to reality. But at this temple, a couple of people were there. And so as we continue, verse 25 of Luke 2 says, Now there was a man whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so Simeon is a, a prophet, one of the types of people who spoke for God. And he says some amazing things over little baby Jesus. Here in verse 29, um, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And then hear this. After Simeon prophesies over Jesus, the next verse, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And there's another person at the temple who does this. Um, there's another prophet named Anna. And so just a few verses later, Anna also grabs hold of Jesus. And in verse 38 of Luke chapter 2, it says that coming up at that very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we get these two really big words as Mary and Joseph just do what they thought they had to do. And they take Jesus to the temple um, but a couple people are there, and they say some amazing things over baby Jesus. Simeon talks about salvation, and Anna talks about redemption. These are two very kind of biblical words, but they sum up the entire story of what Jesus is going to do, of, of everything that's about to happen. As salvation speaks to um, God's plan from beginning to end, that, that we need a saving from something and then the redemption comes in at the end of that that what had to happen to make that salvation occur it talks about the price and so we get in this temple just a few days old we're talking about from beginning to end of what Jesus is going to do from God's plan to the cost that it took from the problem of sin to the solution of what Jesus will ultimately do from how sick we were to how healed we're going to be. And all of these things are wrapped up in the prophets reminding and just overflowing with praise of who Jesus is. But that verse we read in 33 is so amazing. That Mary and Joseph just did the normal stuff and they came to the temple. But by the end of that day, they marveled at what was said about him. Now, they, they should have known, right? This is the same Mary and Joseph from just a few days ago who had these things told to them by angels. They were told Jesus was going to be different and special. Um, but, but fast forward through the pregnancy, through the birth, and then another week or so later, and having been reminded, they marveled. They were not yet convinced of who Jesus was going to become. But then upon hearing it again, 
they were stirred. What is, what's your day after Christmas like? And what is it built on? What is it like to continue the day after Christmas? Mary and Joseph didn't get a map. They just went about their day doing their normal Jewish things. But God sent people into their lives to speak words of truth about Jesus. And it reminded them of their calling, of the mission that they were on, of what this life with Jesus was going to be like. The expectation, anticipation, hype, the emotions, everything that family would have felt around that first Christmas, we tend to do that to ourselves quite a bit, at least once a year with our own Christmas, right? We start music back in who knows how long ago, and there's this, there's this anticipation, this sprint towards Christmas. But whenever we do something like that to ourselves, there's also the inevitable crash back to reality, Right? Oh boy, get excited. Here we go. Here's the thing. And then back to real life. And then we got another thing to look forward. Oh boy, here we go. Get excited. Here's the thing. And then back to real life. What does your day after Christmas look like? Does your daily life have somebody like Simeon and Anna speaking truth about Jesus into your life to remind you of who he is, of what he's doing, of what he'll continue to do. Because here we are on December 26th, another day after Christmas. The parties have happened, the event, the Christmas Eve services, the family, all that has come and gone. It's a perfect opportunity to be reminded again of God's perfect plan. How do God's words get into your life? Thanks, man. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, Tyler introduced me already. Uh, my name is Colt, and I am a high school leader for the student ministries. Uh, I also serve in the Iwana ministries as a middle school leader, too. And um, I'm also a full participant in the young adults ministry as well. So for my section, uh, picking up where we left off, if you're following along at home, uh, it's Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 39 to 40. So I'm going to go ahead and read those. Uh, so starting in 39, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Uh, A more descriptive uh, part of this, actually, is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. Uh, It says this, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. All right. So to kind of get a little theological here, 
what we read in these verses uh, is that pr prophecy is fulfilled, which is awesome, incredible. Uh, the fulfillment of prophecies is actually one of the apologetic tools that, as Christians, uh, we get to use to prove the validity of Scripture. Uh, we also read that Jesus grows in maturity and wisdom, and the Spirit of God is upon him. This not only refers to Christ making progress toward becoming the evangelist in ultimate propitiation for all of humanity's sins, but it's also a reference to the relatable humanity of Jesus Christ. You know, he was a human just like us, uh, physically, and he growed from adolescence to adulthood. That part of the gospel is so underestimated. Christ became one of us. He was tempted in the same ways as us, uh, yet he lived a sinless life. He was unblemished, and he suffered one of the most gruesome deaths imaginable, all for the sake of redeeming humanity back to himself that we may have life everlasting. When I read this passage, too, uh, there's really two emotions uh, that kind of stand out. Uh, they're not really explicitly stated, so we kind of have to uh, dig a little bit here, but I don't think it's too out of the ballpark or out of, you know, out of imagination. Uh, they are disappointment and fear. Uh, the excitement has already come, as Tyler said. You know, Jesus has been bored. Uh, God protected them and delivered on his promise. They do all of the right things in Jewish law, and they were hoping to return home. I was about to put and back to their normal lives, but if you remember, Mary getting pregnant uh, out of wedlock actually put some serious tensions between them and society, so it's not really normal back home either. Uh, so still, they were hoping to return to Nazareth until a ruler decides uh, to order a decree to kill all the baby boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Kind of puts a dampener in things, doesn't it? Um, I don't know about you, but I watched a lot of movies during COVID, and uh, this reminds me of one of those scenes in Hollywood where the protagonist says something like, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, right? Um, so that's kind of the heart of this disappointment, right? Hearing upon that news, uh, their plans were spoiled. So uh, can you even imagine what was going through Mary and Joseph's minds? I mean, first of all, an angel appeared to them, Right? I mean, it's kind of nothing new, which is kind of strange for us to think about. Uh, it's happened before, uh, but still, that's a, an insane experience. Um, so an angel told them to flee to a foreign country far, far away uh, because they would be hunted. Uh, and church, you better believe that they were frightened. Uh, do you think that if Herod or one of his mercenaries found like the eight ounce or eight pounds, six ounce, sweet baby Jesus, uh, that they would just ask, Mary and Joseph, can we just like borrow him for a little bit? Nah, no, no, no. Uh, they would either imprison Mary and Joseph if they, um, if they resisted, or they would, quite honestly, kind of cut them down without a blink of an eye if it meant preserving Rome's reputation and power. Uh, so there was rightful fear for their very lives. Uh, church, if there's one thing that's always stuck with me, it's this. Uh, it's a phrase. Church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. If there's one thing that I know for certain, uh, it's that you watching online are here through divine guidance. Uh, yeah, it's not a fluke. Can we be honest with ourselves for a minute? When we walk through, well, I was hoping you guys would be here in person, uh, but uh, whenever we come into church on any given Sunday, we bring something with us. And uh, being the day after Christmas, you are bringing something uh, here right now as you're watching us, as you're here watching church. Um, we all did. 
I believe that most of us watching this morning have been brought to a place of repentance and you know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I believe a majority of us have felt that forgiveness. We have seen and tasted the goodness of God. Amen? But even after salvation, we have work to do. It's called sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ. And I don't know about you, but it's not always easy to just walk through the front doors of church on any given Sunday, or even to turn on your phone or your tablet to watch this morning when it can be easy to do something else, right? Uh, as a Christian, we still wrestle and battle sinful tendencies and difficulty of living in a sinful and broken world, and it can be really hard sometimes. For us this morning, we are in the season of joy. We just celebrated Christmas like it, it was yesterday. Uh, should we have our spirits uplifted by the season and all the traditions? Yes. Should we be rejoicing that we get to fellowship with other Christians during the season? Absolutely. And we've been doing that. Uh, should we be happy that we just saw some snow? Yes. Uh, I mean, maybe it was a bit too much. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, anyways, regardless, does any of this mean that we are going to be happy during this season? And the answer is no. And that's where joy comes in. Uh, despite your external circumstances, true joy has the power to uplift spirits and encourage the soul. And that alone comes from Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you just had a Christmas with great food and family and you're feeling great. Perhaps you came from a rotten Christmas with, uh, where uh, tensions were high and blood was boiling. Perhaps you didn't even celebrate Christmas with anybody. Maybe you don't even celebrate Christmas, I don't know, uh, because of bad memories. I don't know where you're at, but God does. Um, so, church family, what is it that you have brought here this morning today? Is it disappointment or fear, uh, as Mary and Joseph experienced? Is it some other overwhelming emotion or mental obstacle uh, that you need to address and overcome? Is it a tensioned or strained relationship? Maybe it's uh, not even emotions. Maybe it's a season of life you're in right now, or maybe you're entering a new season of life. Maybe it's a specific calling that is challenging or scary. Maybe it's your expectations. And none of that is abnormal, by the way. For Mary and Joseph, the day after Christmas involved walking right into something that required even more faith than the day before Christmas. They were learning, just as we have to learn, how to do this thing called life with Jesus. So whatever it is you came in with today, know that it's not easy to open up and be vulnerable. But church, remember, this is the house of healing and restoration. And even though you're not here with us, wherever you are right now, you can take this opportunity to remember that as well, whoever you're with. I urge you, do not leave this opportunity uh, and not do anything about it. Take this opportunity to address what you need to uh, that's on your heart, to talk with God uh, and to make your soul well. The verses we just read remind us that God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He is a protector. He is worthy of your trust. But above all, he wants to be in relationship with you. So are you willing to open up to him today? And if you're in person here, uh, you would be applauding. One of the uh, great joys of uh, being a pastor is watching God uh, 
just come in someone's life and mature and grow them. You know, this is a much anticipated moment. Uh, Colt and I talked, I think, well over a year ago about someday uh, uh, Colt speaking, and, uh, and he'd just been growing and learning. I love Tyler's ministry. Um, I love what Awana's done in your life and your parents. Um, I, I'm just really, really, really proud of you, Colt. Uh, you just did something that's really hard. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I know I could just feel the Holy Spirit, and I, uh, I'm trusting at home they're applauding. If they're here, they'd be applauding. Well done, and it's an honor to be here and just watch you grow. Um, and so as we continue uh, in this uh, section of Luke, and I'm looking at verse 41, and, and we're looking at the, the day after Christmas, and what do we do with this gift? It's interesting. I was uh, cleaning up uh, last night after our Christmas celebration and our grandkids and, you know, and, and their things, their toys and the things they've gotten. I was putting away, and I was just thinking, what are they going to do with this? You know, am I going to put it somewhere that they won't lose it until next year? You know how that goes? You, what do we do with this gift that God gave us of Jesus? And so as we look at this, I want to encourage us that we have to know this gift. We have to know this gift. And in verse 41, what we see happening here, now uh, Jesus' family returned from Egypt, and now he's 12 years old. So years later, we're going to see they are a faithful family, and they are taking one of the annual trips uh, down for the uh, Passover, which was a seven-day celebration in Jerusalem. So from Nazareth uh, down to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, about 65 miles. And so uh, the whole family and the whole community heads down. They go through this seven-day celebration of Passover. You know there's this incredible spiritual high. And then they leave as a family. <laughs> and something happens here. Uh, in this lesson that we're going to see, the first lesson, we have to know where our gift is, right? We have to know where our gift is <laughs> because they take off. And I can only imagine just the excitement and the buzz and the conversation they're having, young and old, the whole family as they're traveling. <laughs> well, day into the trip back home, guess what? They forgot somebody. They took their eyes off Jesus. And before you judge Mary and Joseph, you imagine that? Uh, forever they are recorded in Scripture as losing Jesus. <laughs> before you judge them, have you ever lost your kid? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, Sandy and I were at, at a J.C. Penney's in Spokane. We were with her parents, and we're all shopping. And our oldest daughter, Sydney's, I think about four years old. She is with us, and you know we're in Spokane. And in our world, over in Eastern Washington, that's the big city, right? It's where all the bad people are. <laughs> and so we're shopping, and Sandy says, "Hey, Scott, do you have Sydney?" You know, she kind of says it. A little distant away, and I said, well, no, I thought she was with you. She says, oh, she must be with my mom. Hey, mom, do you have Sydney? No, I thought she was with you. And our hearts just dropped. You've been there, parents? You with me? And so we started searching and looking everywhere, nowhere to be found, and all of a sudden, every bad image in my mind and fear just set in deep, and we're frantically looking around. 
And all of a sudden you will hear this laughter from the center of a clothes rack. She decided it would be really funny to hide from us in a clothes rack. <laughs> so, uh, I tell you what, I, uh, we, want, we wanted to do much harm to her, I'll say it that way, okay? <laughs> oh, but guess what? We, we've all done it. So in this great excitement with family coming, they lost sight of Jesus. And as I was reading this text, I was thinking, and I don't think this applies to Mary and Joseph, so don't, don't hear me wrong. But if you read the Gospels, what you start seeing happening there is you see the religious, namely the Pharisees, but others as well, they miss Jesus. They get so locked into what they're doing and their religious practices, their adherence to the law and the oral traditions and the things they've added. They got so focused on that, they absolutely lost sight of Jesus. Luke, I mean, there's many, many stories. Luke 13, you might remember this story. Uh, begins in Luke 13, verse 10. And there, there's a, a crippled woman comes up to Jesus. And she's been crippled for 18 years. The whole community knows there's a problem. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. She comes up. And Jesus touches her and he heals her. And the Pharisees get angry. They're so focused on the losses. Wait, this is a Sabbath. You can't do that. And only God can heal and forgive people's sins. They are so focused on their religious act that they miss the Messiah standing right in front of them. And I think this is something that I see all around me. Something I pray and I try to avoid. That I get so locked in the rules, in the steps, in the religious aspect of this faith that I miss the Messiah and Jesus Christ. It's a danger. We see it all through the Gospels. So we have to know where our gift is. And it's not and it never will be in religion. Now there's an expression of true deep faith there's fruit of that, and it's beautiful, but it has to come from the real place, the real gift, and that is Jesus Christ. So we see Mary and Joseph, who I think are just being faithful, amazing parents, and Scripture's clear that Jesus stayed behind. So if we're going to blame somebody, folks, uh, I, can I even do this? going to blame Jesus? I'm going to go ahead and do that because that's what the Scripture says. He stayed behind. So forgive me, Jesus, if this is... But you told me you stayed behind. So he stayed behind. They didn't know where their gift was. And it began a frantic search. It says three days. They were searching for him. Searching for him. And in verse 49, you, you see them find him. And where they found him? They found him in the temple court. Sitting amongst the teachers. And he was having a Q&A, a, a, &A, a questioning, and an answer session with them. And they came there and they saw him. And remember, and this is very fitting, Jesus is 12 years old at this time. And that's a very important age for a Jewish boy. Uh, understanding the Jewish education system, you know, from zero to about uh, eight, I believe it is, ten, uh, 
they would do a bet sifer is called and there their education was and usually in the synagogue the local synagogue and they would memorize the torah the first five books of the old testament imagine that a wand is pretty powerful but yeah. you don't do that do you no, come no. on come on uh, that's what they did that's what they did the whole first five books Woo! Um, so they'd memorize that and if they did well they would move to the next level and bet to mood and there, from 10 to 12 to 13, um, they would learn uh, the oral traditions. Very vast, very complex. And they'd learn the art of question and answer. That's how you taught. How they taught is by asking questions. The teacher would sit and ask questions. The students would answer, and then he would ask more questions to provoke learning. And so, Jesus at 12 was at that age that he was learning the skill, the art of question and answering and how to teach and how to lead. Also, you've heard this at Bar Mitzvah for a Jewish boy. Uh, when they were 12 years old, so when they're 13, they do their bar, bar Mitzvah, which is, and that means in a Jewish language, Hebrew, son of commandments. And it is really the rite of passage for a Jewish boy. And it's the rite of passage into adulthood. And they can now exercise all things that they've learned. They are a full active participant in the synagogue. They are an adult responsible for themselves. And so Jesus at 12 was entered in this. He's got the education. He's at the age. And of course, now he's in the temple court. And his mom comes up and his dad, and they rebuke him. I'm thinking, okay. They're like, why did you treat us this way? Don't you know that we are anxious and we are worried? And Jesus says this, verse 49. Why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I had to be in my father's house? also could be translated, and I actually believe maybe a better translation, that it had to be about my father's business. I had to be about my father's business. Don't you know? See, we have to know what our gift is. We have to know what our gift is. A bit of a funny story about not knowing what your gift is. My wife's parents, love them, love them, love them. But it is pretty funny to watch them get any technology. They get a computer or a phone. I mean, just I'll listen to my wife talking to them on the phone trying to explain things. Um, and he'll say, well, you know, my wife usually to her dad, well, you can take pictures with your phone. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, you can take pictures. Whoa. You can send an email with your phone. And he's unreal. I just want to make a call. <laughs> he doesn't know in this technology what his gift is and all that it is. And really in the same way, that's what Jesus is saying to Mary in this moment. Don't you know? Don't you know who I am, what you've heard, where I'm going? Of course, I'd be right here about my father's business. And what the father's business is this. Okay. He has always led his people. You look at the Old Testament and the New Testament through three primary offices. 
That is of the prophet, the priest, and the king. And Jesus would fulfill all of those once and for all. Jesus is a prophet. What a prophet is is someone who brings the word of God. And John 1, 1 is very clear that Jesus is the word. He's the word in the beginning. The word was God and the word was with God. And you look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? And we celebrated this last couple of days. Emmanuel, God with us. The living word. See, we can trust his word. What's so important that you have to know your gift. I want to encourage you. 2022, make a commitment to know the word more. Because when you know the word more, guess what? You're going to know Jesus more. Because he is the word. So I want to challenge you. Challenge yourself. Dive deeper into the word. Get to know him. Because he's our prophet. He's the word. He's the living word. And he's trustworthy. Priest. Does the priest have to understand the Old Testament Jewish tradition of the priest? And, and Hebrews 4 says Jesus is our, the great high priest. And the high priest was the ultimate priest, right, for the Jewish. And, and what the high priest would do, he would go and he would be the only one that can go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was and bring a sacrifice for the atonement of our sins to restore our relationship with God. Hebrews 4, Hebrews 9 and 10 says that Jesus is our great high priest. He goes into the presence of the Father. He is the unblemished lamb. And he is a sacrifice for our sins. And it says this, once and for all, then the curtain is torn and we have access into the presence of the holiest of holy, of God himself. Because of Jesus' work as our priest. We can trust his work. We can trust it. We can rely on it. And through his work on the cross, we can go into the very presence of God and experience it. And experience the power of God in our lives. So I want to encourage you this year to let Jesus do his work. Taking you to the presence of God. And feel that power to transform and to change your life and other people's lives. And the last plenty is king. It's king. He is a king. And, and you look through this, he is a king of kings, lord of lords. And all through the New Testament, he's talking about uh, his kingdom. It's a new kingdom. And the people uh, often missed it. I'll take you kind of toward the end of the Gospels, that triumphal entry. We usually celebrate that around Easter. But Jesus is going into Jerusalem where he'll be tried and crucified and go to the cross. And as he's entering, they're praising, they're excited, Hosanna in the highest, right? They are celebrating this king, and he tells them, you're missing it. You are thinking in terms of I'm a king uh, in an earthly sense, but I'm the king of kings, the Lord of lords. My kingdom will never end. It's far greater than this earth in all things. And there's, in fact, it impacts and oversees everything here. And you can be part of that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He is the king. And in that kingdom, we can trust his ways. He's going to guide us and lead us differently than anything in any way this world is. And Jesus says, don't you know? 
I had to be about my father's business. This is what I've come to do. This is what I've come to do. What's encouraging what he does, because his time had not come yet. It was going to be 18 years later that he'd start his public ministry. Because at age 30 is when somebody could become a rabbi, a teacher. And that's when Jesus would start his public ministry. So he went home with them, back to Nazareth. And he grew in stature and wisdom, ultimately to come and lead us. So you have to know where your gift is. It's in Jesus Christ. And you have to know what you have in that gift. And it's powerful. And it's amazing. And it's available to us through faith and trust in him. So I'm going to encourage you now to get your elements for communion. Because he says this to us. He says this as, as he's getting ready to depart this earth. And he tells them all about the work of the cross, about the kingdom of God and what he has for them. He says, I want you to always know where I'm at. I'm going to give you something to remember me. Why at North Shore do we do communion every week? Because we never want to forget where our gift is. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Our hope is found in only in Jesus Christ, and that hope changes everything. And so therefore, we celebrate communion every week, the Lord's Supper, because he says, I want you to know where I'm at. But he also, in communion, wants us to know what we have in this gift. He says, I want you to remember, every time you take this, you're going to proclaim my death, meaning this, you're going to understand what that cross is. That cross is death to me, but life for you. Life forevermore in eternity. It's a redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ that frees us into this thing we've been talking about the last few weeks, this shalom, this peace, this wholeness, as we were meant to be because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross for us. And he promises this. He's coming back for us. He's coming back. Every time we take this communion, we remember that powerful gift we have. So North Shore, let's never forget that. So I'm going to invite you just to take 30 seconds to remember your gift, that it's in Jesus. And that gift is powerful unto salvation for all who believe in faith. And if you're watching and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have not received him by faith, his redeeming work on that cross for your sins, and ask for forgiveness. I encourage you to do that in your own words. Receive Jesus. Invite him into your heart and say yes to him by faith and live with him now and forever. Let's take 30 seconds and remember our gift and then I'll lead us in the elements in just a moment. On the night Jesus was betrayed, 
took the bread, broke it. Says, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, and remember it to me. Let's eat. In the same way, he took the cup. This is my blood, the new covenant. Take, drink, in the remembrance of me. Let's drink. Amen, amen. North Shore, this has been a little unique. Uh, you would be blown away with how much snow is out there uh, as we sit here in the church. Like, I'm hoping we can get out of here. Uh, we had all kinds of plans for this morning. Um, but I tell you what, it feels good to be here. I feel the Holy Spirit here. I trust the Holy Spirit is with you and your home. And I pray really in the deepest spiritual sense, it's been a Merry Christmas. It's been a Merry Christmas. Because we together today and the weeks past have glorified the gift of Jesus Christ. And I trust and pray that's our pursuit going forward. Because I know this, God has us on a mission to proclaim that hope, the hope of Jesus Christ to our communities. And we believe that hope changes everything. It'll change our communities. And we're going to do it one person at a time, one soul at a time as God leads us. And I want to invite you to be part of that. So I love you. Trust in 2022 will be amazing in the name of Jesus. We're going to have uh, some of our pastors available for prayer uh, on Zoom. You'll see a link. Come on board. Um, do that. I sent out a letter uh, for year-end giving. Uh, we just want to do some great things, and God has brought us together to collectively bring our tithes, our offerings, uh, these kind of year-end things, so we can do just a greater work in our communities 2022. And I invite you to be a part of that in a big way. You know, and just a celebration of the moment. Uh, I've asked Colt uh, if he would just close us in prayer. I love you, Norshore. God bless you. All right. Well, everyone at home, please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for uh, his sacrifice on the cross and for... Um, the reconciliation that occurs, that we may have life everlasting through him. God, I pray that we never forget his sacrifice and that we never forget your goodness, your grace, your love, your kindness. And may we also never forget your amazing attributes as we have read in some of these stories, Lord. Uh, God, you're a protector, you're a mighty, you're the great high priest, you're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Nothing on this earth can come close to you. And God, we put our full faith and trust in you during this, hol uh, this holiday season. God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for everyone watching. We pray uh, that your spirit will move through everyone here at North Shore, but also in this area, uh, in, our, in our church community. God, we thank you. We pray for safety, uh, and we pray for peace uh, as we wrap up the year 2021. God, we pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.